If you've read much in the Bible, you're aware that the Bible gives a worldview that suggests that there is a cosmic battle going on. It's a battle of light and darkness. It's a battle of life, lies and truth and life and death. If you read much of the Bible, you're aware that the Bible speaks to the issue of the lies that come from false prophets and the truth that comes from God's prophets. From the prophets of Baal and Elijah to Jeremiah and Isaiah, there is always a measurement of who's a true prophet and who's a false prophet. As you move into the New Testament, the theme continues, and you get the idea that this is an important, big deal thing with God. In the book of Revelation, John talks about a spirit of deception and false prophecy. In the 20th chapter of Acts, Paul calls the elders to come down from Ephesus to meet him at Miletius. Paul is fixing to die, and he knows that this is the last time that he will see these beloved friends. And the most salient thing he says is this, I know that when I depart, ravenous wolves will come in your midst to destroy you. And the Apostle Peter talks about deceiving myths that people believe. And Paul in Corinthians says that every prophecy needs to be tested. It goes on and on. And then our text for this morning from the seventh chapter of Matthew, and I'll start reading at the 15th verse. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. As you sit there, you ought to be saying, is the man who is standing before me today are a true or a false prophet? Does Steve speak from the dark side or does he speak from the light side? You ought to ask that, but it might surprise you that I ask exactly the same thing. Eleanor last night said, what is the text they have assigned to you? And I said, false prophets, they need an example. I was at one of our sponsored events, and a young man in a three-piece suit came up to me and said, Brown, repent, what you do is blasphemous. And I go, sure. But inside, my heart breaks, and I say, Lord, is it I? Am I a true or a false prophet? Karl Barth, the most significant theological mind in the last hundred years in the church, wrote a little book for preachers. And in that book, he says, who do you think you are, little man, to speak for God? Such overweening presumption, such arrogance. And so sometimes at night, I wonder, 
It's insane that I should be doing this. I'm not so good, and I'm not so committed, and I'm not so faithful. Could it be, do you think, that I am a false prophet? And so the subject for this morning is of interest and important interest to you, but it is of existential import to me. How do you know? We've been reading in the press about deep throat and how felt has become or has been revealed as that person. Richard Nixon was in the church that I served and I knew him. And I've heard that voice over and over again. I tell you, your president is not a crook. And I want to say this morning, I want you to know the preacher is not a false prophet. But how in the world do you know? First, I guess you begin by defining what the Bible means by prophet or by prophecy. Popular culture suggests that a prophet is somebody who predicts the future and who is reasonably accurate about predicting the future. You need to know that that's not what the Bible means when it talks about prophecy. Prophecy means to speak forth, to speak forth the truth. So when I say to you two plus two equals four, I am in the Greek and Hebrew sense a prophet. And when I say two plus two equals four, and that reflects an awesome, organized God who creates mathematics for his own glory, I thereby become a prophet of God. And so in the Bible, a prophet, a prophet is one who speaks forth, either lies from the dark side or truth from the throne of God himself. How do you know? Well, let's check out what Jesus had to say about this. First, I want you to look, if you will, at the look of a false prophet. It's how the text opens. Beware of false prophets. False is defined by truth, and a false prophet will be as close as he or she possibly can to the real thing. I got an email this week from somebody who said, Steve, I just went to your website and tell me it's not true. That can't be you. I saw the picture and they had your name under it and that old man could not be you. And I wrote back and said, you are quite discerning. That was not me. We found a homeless old man and put his picture on our website so that my stunning good looks would not interfere with the speaking and the truth of God's word. How do you know? Is a true prophet ugly and a prophet of lies pretty? No. They can be bold and mean and withdrawn and personable and kind. You just don't know. Have you noticed that every time a serial killer gets caught, they interview the neighbors? Happens over and over again. I don't understand it. Seemed like such a nice man. He liked kittens and children. And he always said good morning to me. He was, no, it couldn't, you can't tell. He speaks with such awesome power, it must be God. And look at the crowd that come, it must be from God. And look at the charisma of his life, it must be from God. Look at all that he's accomplished, it must be from God. I have just described to you Adolf Hitler. So how do you know? 
There's only one way you know, and that's because in the Bible, a prophet is defined by truth and not by goodness. A prophet is defined by truth and not by goodness. Do I stand before you because I am such a good person? No, a lot of you are so much better than I am. I stand before you because I believe this is God's word, and I will never teach you anything that I haven't found here. These are not my ideas. I say them funny, but these are not my ideas. These are ideas that come from God, and I've committed my entire life to never speak to God's people except with the truth that he has given me in his inerrant word. It wasn't always that way. I graduated from a this side of whoopee liberal graduate school in Boston, Boston University, and I just didn't believe it. And then I realized how empty I was and how lonely I was and how black it was and how the dark side had nothing to say. You could use big words and you could smile and you could be winsome, but lies from the dark side are just that, lies from the dark side. And God began to do a work in my life. I'll never forget the day when I knelt down by the desk in the study of the church that I served in the Boston area. My Bible was open and I said, God, I'm not good, but I am yours. I have no authority, but from now on, I will teach what I read in your word. That's been years and years ago. Sometimes I really don't like it. Sometimes when I study it, I say, God, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to tell people that. They'll think I'm crazy, but I always teach it. Sometimes it keeps me awake at night. Sometimes I want to erase it, but it leaves a smudge. And so for all of my life, it is focused when I stand before God's people, not on my goodness or my purity or my commitment or my faithfulness, but God's truth. And you ought to be like the Berean people. You ought to check it out all the time. I don't care who stands here. You ought to open your Bible and you ought to check it out. So first, I want you to look at the look of a false prophet. But Jesus also talks about the heart of a false prophet. Look at the whole of the 15th verse. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And here it comes, sports fans. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. Listen to me. A wolf is not defined by the evil of his intent but by the power of his hunger. Is that again? A wolf is not defined by the evil of the wolf's intent, but by the power of the wolf's hunger. The wolf doesn't come and say, oh man, I've struggled with this so long. I know this is wrong. Those sheep are so cute. And, they're, and I'm going to get blood all over the place. And I, and I just, I've got this addiction and I can't stop it. And it's awful, but I'm going to eat the sheep. And God will forgive me when it's over. No, the wolf eats sheep because wolves eat sheep and they're hungry. A wolf is not defined by the evil of the wolf's intent, but by the power of the wolf's hunger. 
It is no accident that Jesus uses the imagery of a wolf here because it's the same thing with a false prophet. Not only are you not sure whether it's a false prophet, a false prophet does not think he or she is a false prophet. You need to know that the default position is the heart. And the default position of a false prophet is always the hunger, the self, the ego, the self-aggrandizement, and the default position of a true prophet is God and God's people. I, I think of Paul saying, I would lose my salvation for the salvation of my people. I think of John Knox saying, oh God, give me Scotland or I die. I think of Bill Bright saying, kill me, Father, before I bring shame on your name and pain to your people. I think of William Booth saying, when I got the poor of London on my heart, I could never shake them. So the heart of a false prophet, the default of a false prophet is self and ego. And the default position of a true prophet is God and his people. I want you to see not only the look and the heart of a false prophet, I want you to look at the fruit of a false prophet. Look at 16b. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 20th verse, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now the word fruits has lent itself to various interpretations by scholars. Some suggest that the fruits is the righteousness of the prophet who speaks, and if that's true, I'm lost. I don't stand before you because I'm righteous. Some people have said that the fruits of which Jesus is speaking is referred to in Galatians, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. And some scholars make a big deal out of fruit as opposed to fruits. Seems to me you don't generally find one apple on an apple tree, so it'd be natural for Jesus to refer to the plural. But when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the text that we're in the process of studying, you need to know that it's real life from a real God for real situations, and it has dirt under its fingernails. And so when you see it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, who are the fruits? You're the fruits. Deal with it, <laughs> don't you? I've always, all my life, wanted to tell a congregation, you're a bunch of fruits. <laughs> you are. You are the fruits, and the measurement of the prophecy depends on the help and the health of the fruits. You know, I like coming to Northland. I love the worship. That was awesome today. I, uh, I love the leadership. Vernon. When he lost it at communion, I thought, Lord, this cynical preacher's got to see the real thing sometimes, and that's the real thing. But that's not, do you, do you, do I, I love coming here because of Joel. Joel's my hero. I love to hear Joel preach. He's so authentic and so profound in what he teaches. 
But you know why I really like coming here? Because of the fruits. Because this is a healing place. A place where people get well. Can we talk? Religion will make it weird, won't it? I mean, it really does. I mean, they're crazy people. And when they get close to what they say is God, they just turn crazy. I interviewed a gay man last night for two hours on my secular talk show. He was a man who's angry about gay days, and he says it's about sex, and it's about rock, and it's about orgy, and it's about money. And he's standing up and speaking out, and some of his friends are not are not happy with him. And then the religious people start calling upset and angry and condemning. And I think that's a sickness. How can we not love? How can we not reach out to the ones that Jesus loves and he reaches out to? There's authenticity and there's peace. Are you getting better? You are. I can hear it in your laughter and I can see it in your eyes. Some of you came here because you wanted to serve God and have convictions. And then Jesus came and you started giggling and the health spurred up from your heart and the reality and the authenticity of Jesus became the definition of your life. Donaldson in his trilogy about Thomas Covenant has covenant going into a land that is wounded where if you touch the grass, you're burned. If you brush against a flower, it is painful. And his commission is to create a healing land. That's what Northland is. Northland is as healthy as any church that I know. And I love coming here. I love to see the lives get changed. I see weird people getting balanced. I see authenticity and reality. How do you know about a true prophet? You say, am I getting better? And you are. And that says wonders about Joel. I want you to see not only uh, the look of a false prophet, the heart and the fruit of a false prophet. I want you to look, if you will, at the source of a false prophet. Look at the second part of the 16th verse again and into the 17th verse. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears false fruit. Did you hear about the king who liked to go out into the kingdom dressed as a peasant so he could hear without the interpretation of his insistence what people really said? He was in a bar and he was talking and somebody in the back said, who in the world is that man? And his friend said, I don't know, but he, but he looks like a peasant but he talks like a king. We're royalty and that ought to be reflected on us. There ought to be the smell of Jesus about us. The brother who is the prince with whom we are in intimate relationship. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians, there is an aroma of Christ. The scripture teaches that when you became a Christian, you were invested and imputed with the Holy Spirit who now resides in you and your spirit witnesses with the aroma of Christ. I had betrayed him and I confessed and wept and he held me in his arms and I smelled Jesus. Billy Graham used to sometimes come to the church that I served 
And we were having lunch one time and he said some really nice things about my sermon. And I said, Mr. Graham, that is so good. Could I get a tape recorder and tape what you just said? And he laughed and he said, that doesn't mean anything. When I was in Sweden after our first crusade, they mentioned the Pentecostal pastor in the town and the headline said, so-and-so could have done better. And in his laughter and in his authenticity, I smelled Jesus, my spirit witnessed with his spirit. You are the people of God. And there is the aroma of Christ based on God's word, the aroma of Christ that Paul talks about that you sense in a teacher who is close to Jesus and who is real. Then I want you to see not only the look, the heart, the fruit, and the source of a false prophet, look, if you will, at the end of a false prophet. It's the 19th verse where Jesus said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You guys scare me to death. You know that? You do. You think you wouldn't after I've been doing this this many years. You scare me to death. You know, I want you to like me, and I want, I want you to accept me. But let me tell you something. God scares me. He scares the spit out of me. He scares me far more than you scare me. You say, well, given how bad you are, you ought to be scared. No, I have the imputed righteousness of Christ. When I stand before a pure and holy God, I'm pure and holy as pure and holy as Jesus was. So it's not my sin, my lack of commitment. Well, I'm committed 51% of the time. That's about what you are too. This total commitment I've never seen, maybe in Mother Teresa once, but after reading her diaries, I've decided she wasn't either. Sometimes I wanna follow Jesus and sometimes I wanna get a milkshake. And you say, Steve, you ought to be afraid in God's presence. No, he knew that 2000 years ago when he saved me. That's not why I'm afraid of him, because he's big. Well, that can be kind of scary, but the bigness is in my defense, so that's not why I'm afraid of him. You say, well, what in the world are you afraid? Why are you afraid of God? Listen to me. Because of you and because he loves you so much. When I first started teaching at Reform Seminary, I was adjunct. I was flying up from Miami once or twice a week, and, uh, and I was teaching classes in communication. And I remember the first time in the class, I said to that class, I want you to know I don't like you. I don't want to be here. I don't have time to do this. I am not your mother, and I do not want to be your friend, okay? I'm here because you don't know how to talk, and I'm going to teach you how to talk. And if you listen, you'll talk better. And if you don't, you won't. But when this is over, I'm going to the airport and I'm going back home, okay? And you know what happened? I couldn't stand that. They got under my skin and I found the tears welling up in their pain and I tasted salt when they cried and my heart got soft and I reached out to them and God's been doing that with God's people. You know what keeps me awake at night? You keep me awake at night because those who love Jesus become like Jesus and those who love Jesus love the people Jesus loves and I can't help it. I'm a loner, I'd be a trappist if they'd let me take my wife. 
But I couldn't. I couldn't because I stay awake at night. And, and I'll tell you, uh, first, uh, first Corinthians 3, but Paul says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, he uses the plural there, so he's talking about all y'all. So the literal translation is, all y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says this, and this is what keep me up at night. He says, anybody who destroys God's temple, God will destroy. And so if I mess with you, he swashes me like a bug. I go, I, I've got to report in. James 3.1 says, he's not going to ask about my goodness. That's covered. He's not going to ask about my commitment or even my faithfulness. He's going to say... What did you do with my people? And so I'm not going to mess with your minds. Shoot. Do I look stupid? I'm going to teach you God's word, and I'm going to be as faithful as I can. And after studying this all week, I've decided you're fortunate to have me here this morning. As the, no, no, don't know. Let me tell you a story. Jim Henry, I love him uh, at First Baptist Church. And WTLN asked me if I would uh, participate in a roast uh, for Jim Henry. It's been two or three years ago. I can do that. You know, that's where you tell funny things about somebody, but you do it with respect. So I had some great lines. And I got there to the head table, and all the politicians were here from Orlando and Central Florida and a lot of big wigs. And I opened up the bulletin for the evening. It was a fine dinner. And I looked for the main speaker, and it was me. And I thought, good night. What am I going to do? And I go into a panic mode. And I start thinking, what am I going to say? And all I could think of were funeral sermons. Now... Now, Jim's old like me, but he's not dead, and that just doesn't work. And so, but I had this sense inside that it was going to be okay, and I'd forgotten that this was a religious gathering of religious people, Baptist in particular, who talked a lot. And so they assign, and Presbyterians are worse than Baptists, they assign you five minutes, you take 15. And the singers were assigned 10, and they took 30. And the time went on and on, and it's getting later and later. And I looked out at God's people, and they were dying. They got kids at home with babysitters. The evening is late, and the main speaker has not even been introduced. So with the compassion of Jesus, I got up. And I said, sometimes they fly me to California for these things and pay me a lot of money. And when it's really late, I have a moral dilemma. I think, man, I've come a long way, and they've spent a lot of money. I really ought to say something. And then I said, but tonight I have no moral dilemma. I'm doing this free. <laughs> so I'm out of here. <laughs> no, no. And I said, I, I turned to Jim, and I said, Jim, this has been such a, and it was. It's been such a great evening. And thank you for letting me participate. And God bless you all. And I sat down. After it was over, one of the politicians here in Orlando came to me and said, Reverend, that's the best speech I ever heard. <laughs> if he had listened to what I taught you this morning, he probably would have said, Reverend, you're a true prophet. You think about that. I'm in. Thanks for listening, and thanks for downloading and using the Key Life app. If you'd like to help others find the app, it's as simple as giving it a review on App Store or Google Play. 
Thanks. Thanks.